Welcome back, everyone. This is Ryan Selkis. You're listening to another episode of Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I discuss key industry trends with crypto's top investors, builders, and thinkers. Just a reminder, Masari is much more than a podcast company. So if you're an industry professional or crypto investor, head over to masari.io and check out Masari Pro, our crypto toolkit that offers best-in-class research, advanced screening, and charting tools to keep you ahead of the investing curve, plus a new enterprise alerts tool. We're also hosting the industry's largest virtual event, the Mainnet, this June 1st through 3rd, with over 50 hours of programming, 100 confirmed speakers, and virtual networking that's so seamless, you'll feel like you're actually there. 50% of the profits are heading to COVID relief, so go reserve your spot today at mainnet.com. Dot events. That's masari.io for pro research and tools and mainnet.events for the best virtual event you'll attend this year. With that, strap in for another episode. Going to be a good one. This episode of the podcast brought to you by Luca. Save money this tax season with Luca Tax, the only time-tested crypto tax software. Luca has listened to your feedback and now lets you calculate capital gains and losses, seeing the results using three different accounting methods side-by-side, all for free. You only pay if you want to see their detailed tax reports and submit your forms using their software. Luca supports unlimited transaction downloads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps you optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refunds or minimize how much you have to pay. Luca wants to help Masari's Unqualified Opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code MasariTax and you'll get a discount. Much more importantly, you'll do your taxes correctly and stay out of jail. Download LucaTax at Luca with two K's, tax.com, and save money this tax season. This episode is brought to you by Bitstamp, the original crypto exchange. 2011 is a long time. This is their third Bitcoin halving, and Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors all along the way. 4 million customers, including top financial institutions worldwide, use Bitstamp. Check them out because they've got some serious professional-grade trading technology, including a matching engine from NASDAQ, some of the best APIs in the industry, and TradeView, their advanced trading interface includes live charting and deep analytical tools that are available on web and mobile. Bitstamp also delivers unmatched customer service, no robots, real live people around the clock via phone, email, and social media if you have issues, but you won't. Join over 4 million traders, download the Bitstamp app from the App Store and Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to get started. That's bitstamp.net slash pro, and they're hooking you up with a discount for Masari Pro as well using promo code Bitstamp. This episode of the podcast brought to you by Crypto.com. We know times are tough. That's why Crypto.com is introducing three different measures to help its community with their new Crypto.com app and credit card. First, they're waiving the 3.5% credit card fee on all crypto purchases in the next three months. They're also offering 10% back when you use the MCO Visa card on food and grocery shopping. And as always, you can buy gift cards on the Crypto.com app for merchants like Whole Foods, Safeway, Burger King, and more with 20% back on food and an additional 10% back on groceries. So download the Crypto.com app today. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with for exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis at 2BitIdiots. Have a special guest today, Jack O'Halloran. He's the co-founder and CEO of Scale Labs. This is attempt number two at a conversation that we first had in Berlin during Berlin Blockchain Week. And uh, I was sick. Jack, uh, I believe it had a late night. We had audio qualities uh, issues uh, with an echo in this massive hall that we were in. But um, for those of you who, who missed it, we're, we're going to kind of take it from the top, talk all about Scale Labs, some of the uh, progress the project has made, their march towards mainnet this summer, um, and uh, you know, kind of wide range, uh, wide ranging discussion on on how Jack and his team have thought about bringing a decentralized protocol to market in the midst of a prolonged sideways, but soon to be radically improving market uh, that it, it looks like we're we're entering into, uh, given all the macro tailwinds in place uh, throughout the economy. So. Um, Jack's also going to be speaking at Mainnet. If you want to check out mainnet.events, our flagship virtual event coming up here in just a couple weeks or next week for those of you who are listening in the future. Um, but Jack, before we um, uh, get too far into the weeds, can you just tell people a little bit about your background, what got you into crypto in the first place and, and kind of how you came to um, 
the point that you are today in, in building out scale labs and, and then we can get into exactly what scale is and, and some of the more interesting you know nuanced discussions around the project yeah yeah i'd be, be happy to and and pleasure to be here today so uh, I'll, I'll give an abbreviated version just since I, I know a lot of people may have, have heard the first session so I've been doing tech startups in Silicon Valley since 2005, um, have started a, a couple su very successful companies as a founder, been a part of one as, a, really as an employee as well, that uh, very successful exit. So um, have been doing traditional uh, SaaS, enterprise software, deep tech, mobile security, machine learning, AI, uh, and had been you know, just watching, I guess, like over, from the other side of the fence, watching crypto since 2013. So um, had uh, been really interested and you know, I think I got the Bitcoin white paper uh, sent my direction in 2011. Uh, at, you know, I had my own startup at that point and you know, I think we ended up, you know, a couple hundred people, uh, employees at that time. And, and, you know, so wasn't in a position to go work in the space and actually didn't even realize it was accessible to me. Mm -hmm. And had, had, you know, been following and like actively just really being involved in the Bitcoin community as a supporter and somebody like buying on Coinbase. And, you know, unfortunately, if I were smarter, if I had a clock, I would have been running a mining operation back then. But, uh, you know, I think all we all would have. <laughs> but it was when I saw Ethereum launch and really followed Ethereum. I recognized that, wow, someone like with my background and skill sets can do something in this in this industry. And and it's this whole element of having programmable blockchains and, and actually connecting events and actions to the blockchain and moving things on chain that can impact the way businesses are run and, in, and can impact the way that, uh, that we structure organizations and make decisions and have governance of, uh, within any type of entity and how we manage payments and how we uh, you know, have more fair, democratized profit sharing and data rights, et cetera. And there's just, I saw this intersection of value towards community and value towards entrepreneur where you could actually do something incredible for people and still like you're not running a nonprofit, you're still running a business, a venture backed business that, you know, has goals to make profit, but not necessarily goals to be a profit machine at the cost of rights to, to your users. So we got excited about that. And, and then in 2017, I uh, was introduced to Stan Cladco by a couple investors who I knew, uh, Sonny Dillon, Rick Thompson, Mike Maples, some people in Silicon Valley um, who Stan had worked with before and I had known for a very long time. And, and uh, yeah, we, we hit it off and decided to go start working on scale at the end of 2017. Um, so, so talk a little bit more about the, uh, the the work that you're doing at scale and 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 how you're working on Ethereum scaling in particular through uh, this containerization approach to to uh, transactions and code. Yeah, so so we thought of it first off. Uh, Stan was trying to build a decentralized exchange and had, had had was working on all the scaling infrastructure and thinking, wow, Ethereum is the ideal place to have a base layer. And then you can augment that layer with another set of validators using, you know, a really a dynamic sharding mechanism where you have a big pool of validators and you're able to at any time bring a smaller pool together to have them run a blockchain. But, uh, and that's, that was his thought like, Hey, I'm going to build this for my decentralized exchange. And then I was working on other ideas and, and Stan also had, was working on ideas for a decentralized Twitter and a decentralized Uber. And, you know, he's, he's very much a, a true genius. And his brain was on fire at that point, <laughs> thinking about all the things he could do. And he was building infrastructure for all of these and saying he wanted to launch all of them. And I said, Stan, this is, this is great. Why don't we bring this core functionality to the masses? And that's, you know, he also was very excited about that and saw that uh, opportunity and said, hey, instead of us building this for ourselves, let's, let's bring this, let's bring it as infrastructure. And in my, in my career, I've been doing a lot of middleware and enterprise software where we're living like on site and in conjunction with CRM and connected to data sources and uh, other, other enterprise software systems. And I, you know, we, I think Stan and I approach this from an enterprise software perspective saying, hey, here's a tech stack here's what exists, here's what's missing, 
here's what could be augmented and also thinking about the business model and the economics and how you create network effects that increase security and create value for the asset and, and really creates a win, win, win. So that was, that was how we thought of scale. And so what we're building at scale is this thing that we thought of building for ourselves, and we're bringing it to Ethereum developers and we're helping, helping scale Ethereum and really bringing, uh, I think, you know, a, a pretty, what's become a pretty amazing solution after, and all the people now that are working on this uh, and it's almost ready to launch. It's pretty, pretty cool to go from kind of like sketches on a whiteboard to seeing, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of lines of code three years later, uh, getting ready to launch. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, especially, you know, more recently, uh, the, you know, the, the, the ICO boom of, of 2017 where people kind of raised money on a, a white paper and, you know, most of them petered out and, and many didn't deliver. Um, you're starting to see the folks that actually were heads down, you know, building, uh, start coming to market. Uh, and, and in many cases, it's a three, four or five year build. You know, Cosmos maybe being one of the first ones out. Um, Cadena and Polkadot and, um, and you know, a number of others, you know, now have gone through their test nets, uh, you know, Solana, um, uh, et, cetera, et cetera. But um, walk people through uh, exactly what the progression has been with all these different test nets that you've done. Because um, I think with many, you know, types of software, you would have an alpha, a beta, um, and then, you know, an open beta, right, where people start playing around with the product and, and you know, ultimately you're, you're tinkering around with it and, and, and upgrading, but it's live and available. With, uh, with crypto, uh, the systems are very different. And, and instead of just seeing like testnet, mainnet, in many cases, you've got like five or six or for however many different testnet implementations um, because there is, you know, this sense that once the system launches, it needs to be robust enough to not have catastrophic issues. Otherwise, it's it's pretty hard to put that genie back in the bottle and then relaunch. So, so how have you thought about gradually de-risking through test nets, and what are some of the things that can be de-risked versus, you know, just fully known unknowns until you've actually launched the the main net chain? Yeah, it's a phenomenal question. And you, you see this if you look back at the Cosmos launch. And uh, that was one of the teams that really, I think, was heads down building. They had a, they had a, a head start on a lot of the other projects. And, and by the way, there was also a, there's an element too during that era of teams that, you know, actually tried to shy away from the media and publicity mm-hmm. and kind of upcycle. The other ones you know, that was the product, the token, you know, scale and many other, and all the other projects you see launching this summer. And, and recently, I think we're all in that class of, of teams that were new that the value is in the utility and building something. And, and those are the ones that are still around. So we've had a nice filtering effect and now mm-hmm. here we are, and we're actually seeing teams launch. And, and, you know, you look at some, a team like keep that just had to pull their network back. And I just say, that's a phenomenal team, incredibly smart people. They did so much testing and they ran test nets. And, you know, the issue is sometimes you just can't find all these things. Crypto networks are very different from regular products. Regular products can launch and break and, you know, and you um, have isolated issues. When you have money and security on the line, uh, it's very different. And sometimes you can't find them till, till you've actually launched. And so, so I've a lot of empathy for, for that team and what they're going through, but it's, it's really, it's just a, uh, I'm saying this to show that it's a tough problem. So, so scale, mm-hmm. the scale network has been, you know, one for, we're, you know, just uh, every day so thankful and fortunate and excited about working with amazing teams like Bison Trails and Staked and Stake with us and, um, and uh, Dokia and many, many other top validators around the world, Figment, et cetera, that are running the scale network right now in these test nets. And, and so the scale core team, we actually have spent over $100,000 running distributed test nets around the world um, in combined just hard cash and cloud credits because you have, to, you have to emulate a real world environment and you have to, you, you know, you can build these things in localized places. You run them basically on everyone's computer that's emulating a network. And guess what? These things work perfectly. The scale block times were down to, you know, sub-second doing 2,000 transactions per second. 
you put it in a distributed cloud. This is like last year. And all of a sudden it's like 20 second block times and, you know, and, uh, and two transactions per second. And, and these are just the things everyone goes through. So we were, uh, you know, we have a phenomenal, you know, there's a phenomenal core engineering team that was able to work through those issues and now, you know, back to uh, even better metrics than we had before in a, in a distributed environment and, you know, and running in a decentralized fashion. So today marks the day of what we call the Fuji testnet. It's the sixth testnet to launch in, uh, in with scale. And we've been launching them since uh, December 2018. And yeah, it's, uh, and so a lot of hard work. I know the engineers were up all night and, uh, the engineers, uh, the dev teams at all the validator shops across the world or have been up uh, getting it up, spinning up and running. And so today is the big day. Now you have to run these things. And then the other thing is you have to try to, you know, put real money on the line. So one thing you can do is you can create white hat hat competitions. And so scale is also launching, you know, almost a hundred thousand dollars ish in awards for people that can go and hack the network and steal things from the network. But it's not real money on the network yet till it's live. So you have to emulate that environment. You have to stimulate people. And so you can incentivize validators to run and compete. You can also incentivize people who have a, who have a white hat hack, uh, skill set to come and, and, you know, we're using hacker one. We'll also be doing stuff with Bitcoin. And so you have to do all of these things to try to find the issues before you launch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, on, on the one hand, you're kind of relying on your internal team. You know, you're, you're thinking about third party audits and, and, and playing around with the different incentive mechanisms. Um, but you also need a kill switch of sorts, right? So, so how, how have we thought about that? Um, Heading into the you know summer mainnet launch, uh, is is there a similar situation uh, to TBTC and, and what happened with the the folks over at Keep, where you know a, a botched rollout can either be rolled back or or kind of temporarily shut down and and then restarted if you if you do get into a false start or, or the stakes higher with a system like Scale. Yeah, so uh, it's a really great question. I think I think the ideal state is, hey, this is just a decentralized organism, and it's like a fungus that grows, and no one can stop it unless it, they can mutate it, take it, make another one, another one. But the reality is, is when these things launch, they need to have mechanisms built in, and Cosmos did, and other teams have built these in, and you put more trust in a core team for a short period of time to be able to stop things and reset them. And so for example, scale has a snapshot that every single DAP that's running a scale chain, uh, the data can get be, be captured every, you know, it could be set to six hours or three hours or right now it's at 24 hours and it depends on the use cases and eventually that'll be configurable per, per DAP. And then you can push that data. You're basically your snapshot of information back to, you know, a centralized server or to, it'll, or to Arweave, for example. So there's one thing of just capturing the data so you don't lose any data. The other component and scale is uh, one nice advantage of the scale network is that it's built on Ethereum. So all of the orchestration, administration, uh, token inflation, uh, bounty pool awards all live through a series of smart contracts on the Ethereum mainnet. And the Ethereum mainnet then interacts with every scale node and every scale node essentially has this little brain or node core that also does uh, administrative functions or an orchestration around administration, payments, um, uh, sec- uh, auditing, et cetera. And so the scale network and the Ethereum network really work together. And so what we also have then, uh, and if you look at the DeFi world, there's this whole question around keys that most people don't know about. And so when the, a core team, whoever's kind of like has access to a master key in Ethereum, they basically have a kill switch. They can, you know, they're playing like a mini uh, emperor or dictator <laughs> in the network until they go through steps to where Maker is today, where they've really uh, gotten to the last step of, of taking that key function and making it entirely an on-chain storage mechanism. Uh, but you know, they didn't start there. No one does. And so you go through this evolution where you take this really dictator type power, which gives you agility to fix issues. We have an issue. Well, we can stop the network. We can pause the network. We can stop trading. We can stop 
uh, you know, a hack. We can reset things. And then what you want to do is very soon turn that into a community run multi-sig wallet. So then different people in the community can interact, people with the validators, people on the developer side, people on maybe an investor who's delegating are able to interact and say, yes, we should do this thing. Um, ultimately, you want it to go purely to an on-chain model, in my opinion. And uh, like I said, makers done this well. And then there's vote, this voting happen and the voting then orchestrates what happens with that key. So, so that's something that uh, is a progression. And so ultimately you give up agility for more decentralization. One thing that strikes me is that um, as Ethereum 2.0 comes to market and, and you know, makes progressively more headway um, and you get closer to a you know, full uh, ETH2 uh, sharded blockchain, what does scale look like in that environment? Um, because as a layer two system, your um, you know, one of the kind of core innovations is is making it easier for the the you know base Ethereum blockchain to um, to actually scale and process more um, data, more more transactions. Uh, does is is uh, I guess you you zoom out a couple of years, and what is the benefit of using scale versus some other layer one chain if sharding and um, you know, some of these other, you know, proof of stake, uh, innovations and, and upgrades actually come to fruition and, and work as advertised. Yeah. So, so one scale, uh, we've been aware since day one of everything happening with, you know, before, I don't think it was called ETH2, right. It was, you know, all the different permutations of the, the name for ETH2, but we've been entirely aware and have been designing for this world. Okay. So, we feel, and so another component here is, is there going to be growth in the total addressable market? Will the TAM grow? And so I believe that the TAM is going to grow immensely and the requirements for Ethereum are going to grow. And also I believe the use cases are going to grow. And I can get into that second, but uh, we can talk about kind of use, use cases and, and what I've been calling the, the value stack. Um, but assuming that happens, if you look at Ethereum sharding, Ethereum is basically saying, um, and, you know, the spec keeps changing, but now I think there's like 32 shards for 64 and then 128. But um, whether it's 32 or 64, well, what we've settled on, there's basically 64 Ethereum chains. All right. And then you think about that, we've unbottlenecked the network so that it can operate in more of these, these interchain messaging and you're sharing, you're still sharing a backend. And mm -hmm. so when I talk about the use cases, when we think about scale, you have to think about it as an application specific blockchain. Every application gets its own Ethereum. So on scale, a thousand nodes could run 8,000 versions of Ethereum that are all C plus plus Ethereum, super fast, yeah, sub-second block times and you don't have these latency effects you have on the mainnet and the developer isn't impacted by success or failures of other people on the network. So let's say, you know, we all, we're using Gmail and something huge happens on Twitter. It doesn't cost us more money to send an email in the real world today, right? And so on scale, that same dynamic will exist. You can be having an email application. You could have an Uber application. You could have a gambling app. You could have a poker application. You could have you know, any number of these things running and one success to the other won't impact performance or costs. And the users don't have to pay per byte. They, the developer pays for the scale chain over a period of time, just like they pay for an Amazon instance. So, so what, so what we're building is applicate applica, application specific backends that connect back to Ethereum. And in the future, the only difference is they, they can write back to whatever the Ethereum shard it's on, as opposed to, the network as a whole. And so the latency won't be, uh, you know, issue isn't going to be fixed. Our scalability will be somewhat fixed with E2. And um, I know there's a lot of people trying to work on these uh, non-custodial elements to them. And Scale believes that, hey, let's give developers own back end. There's way more they can do with it. And the, hey, the same validators that are running E2 are the same ones that run Scale. So <laughs> it's not like, oh, we can't trust validators. Well, 
if you have a trust issue in the scale network, you're probably going to have on the E2 network too. So, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of the like validator trust issues, I, I think are over-exaggerated. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Luca. Save money this tax season with Luca Tax, the only time-tested crypto tax software. Luca has listened to your feedback and now lets you calculate capital gains and losses, seeing the results using three different accounting methods side-by-side, -side, all for free. You only pay if you want to see their detailed tax reports and submit your forms using their software. Luca supports unlimited transaction downloads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps you optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refunds or minimize how much you have to pay. Luca wants to help Masari's unqualified opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code MasariTax and you'll get a discount. Much more importantly, you'll do your taxes correctly and stay out of jail. Download LucaTax at Luca with two Ks, tax.com and save money this tax season. This episode is brought to you by Bitstamp, the original crypto exchange. 2011 is a long time. This is their third Bitcoin halving and Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors all along the way. 4 million customers, including top financial institutions worldwide, use Bitstamp. Check them out because they've got some serious professional-grade trading technology, including a matching engine from NASDAQ, some of the best APIs in the industry, and TradeView, their advanced trading interface, includes live charting and deep analytical tools that are available on web and mobile. Bitstamp also delivers unmatched customer service, no robots, real live people around the clock via phone, email, and social media if you have issues, but you won't. Join over 4 million traders, download the Bitstamp app from the App Store and Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to get started. That's bitstamp.net slash pro, and they're hooking you up with a discount for Masari Pro as well using promo code Bitstamp. This episode of the podcast brought to you by Crypto.com. We know times are tough. That's why Crypto.com is introducing three different measures to help its community with their new Crypto.com app and credit card. First, they're waiving the 3.5% credit card fee on all crypto purchases in the next three months. They're also offering 10% back when you use the MCO Visa card on food and grocery shopping. And as always, you can buy gift cards on the Crypto.com app for merchants like Whole Foods, Safeway, Burger King, and more with 20% back on food and an additional 10% back on groceries. So download the Crypto.com app today. One, um, one uh, item that I'm curious if you've, uh, you know, how you've thought about this from a, a regulatory standpoint um, Telegram, very high profile SAFT uh, offering that, um, that ran into issues launching. Libra uh, ran into issues launching for, for di very different reasons. But um, some of the uh, projects that had raised private funding and, and have some kind of central, you know, initial developer um, have, have started to catch some flack and uh, find that it's a little bit more difficult to launch than they'd anticipated. Is, how, how do you think about coming to market um, given that you did raise, you know, private staff funding um, at, at a couple different points for scale and um, it certainly helped you distribute the, the, the future tokens and, and, and work through staking, um, making sure that you, you kind of seeded the network of, of validators in the system. But I'm, I'm curious what, goes into satisfying both your kind of internal teams and external um, parties' demands when it comes to satisfying U.S. Regulata uh, regulatory uh, strictures and, and, you know, with the SAFT in particular, um, given that there are some other more recent negative precedents. Yeah, so really great question. So I think we've taken a very conservative approach and one that I think, you know, I'm, you know, maybe a model for other people in the future. So when you start, you have to be centralized. You need to just be agile. You have to get things going. And, you know, investors want to have one throat to choke <laughs> when they're like, what's happening? Is the product being shipped? But you have to translate before you actually launch a token and launch a network into a decentralized entity. So we've gone through this progression where now all the IP and the SAFs and the uh, ownership and the money has been transferred to a foundation. The scale network code is all open source and living in a community run GitHub repository. And you can look up scale network uh, on GitHub and see this repository. And that's not owned by, it's, it's supported by the Anstalt of the foundation, but it's not owned by Scale Labs Inc. Uh, the other piece is 
you know, there's just elements of how SAFs are written that show that it's not, it, you're, when you're a good SAFT in my opinion, and you know, maybe there won't be any good SAFs cause I think, you know, who knows what the best practice will be now, but in the past, these things, you know, tokens are software. You're not buying a security that says, hey, this thing's going to be worth more later. You're buying something that serves a function in a network. And so you have to be very clear too with, I think, in the terms, and this is the legalese that I won't get into today, but there's also ways to structure these things that really shows what you're giving people in the future is a, a token. A token is a key function that helps perform utility functions in a network. And then the other component, other than the language, is is when you launch, well, you know, you can't have a central party, a group of active participants that everyone's still relying on to make stuff happen still, that one throat to choke. It's got to just be community run and it has to be viable. So the scale token, no one, you know, the public hasn't been able to buy it yet. It's not listed anywhere because it's not functioning yet. And so when the scale mm -hmm. network launches, it'll run for 90 days in a proof of use mechanism and it can't be traded. It's not liquid. And it really just serves a software function. And so we're launching with consensus. It's called Activate. And uh, you can check it out online, consensus Activate. And anybody, even non-accredited investors in the US, can go and buy a token. And they actually have to use it. So it's like you buy the token, you have to go stake it in the network and use it. And if you after 90 days, then, yeah, then there's liquidity and all these things. And it's a norm. It also has a token function, but you help get through that gray area between, is this a pure security where I'm buying this? Cause it's like a stock option and it's, it's, it has a, it's a unit of value and it could be worth more later um, mm -hmm. to, you know, actually like saying, no, this is mandate. It's use is mandated. And, and so that's another thing we're doing. And we also, you know, that means you've got to build, you've got to launch this thing. There's no easy, quick money. Um, and there's no control. Like the community uh, at the beginning, there's a kill switch and kind of a, re, a rollback function. But we even still have a network representative set um, that's made up of like dApps and validators, delegators, and some core team engineers that get to basically uh, vote on what happens or they get to uh, facilitate on-chain voting. And in the interim, that kind of decentralized group is the party that supports that function. And then ultimately it goes to pure on chain mechanism. Um, so we've built all of these safeguards in and you know, you give up a ton of control as an entrepreneur saying, Hey, I'm starting a business. You give up control. What you get in return is really these things are about community and they're not about control. And so you grow, you get growth in your community, but you also get more legal compliance. So, um, so it's a, it's a dance, it's an evolution, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to launch a product that has value before people are, you know, uh, being able to buy that and, um, you know, in a mechanism that really is all just about trading. <laughs> does can, that can make sense? A little, yeah, no, it, it does. And, and this is kind of the core thrust of the, the Brooklyn project out of consensus, mm. right? I, I guess yeah. now they've got a, a more formal uh project is that under the Brooklyn project or how does activate kind of play in here and, and, yeah, so and the, who else is kind of following some of these um, proof of usage parameters that, um, that that the consensus team had had worked on for a while yeah so I think the Brooklyn project I think was almost an open source legal effort that was pioneered by consensus and then I think a group called Token Foundry that was a appendage of consensus that doesn't exist anymore did a, a sale with foam. And, uh, and, you know, and then that was kind of like an early, you know, V1 where I think it was hard to, you know, the whole process, there was UX issues. I think they had a very successful sale still, but now what we're looking at is the mechanism where, uh, and so consensus as a group has said, hey, the Activate team and, and their codify of consensus said, hey, let's take the Brooklyn project. And I think a lot of people that were working on the Brooklyn project are working on Activate and said, let's take this to the next level and let's build a staking panel. So it gets immensely easier. You buy a token through this website and then through the same website, you can say, hey, I want to connect to a validator. And you can see these validators and, and the scale validators are, you know, amazing set, the same type of validators that are going to be running E2 and you can select which one you want to stake to. You plug your, uh, your ledger wallet into your computer and, 
just like using my Ether wallet, but instead you plug in and then you can stake your delegation key to that validator. And it all happens very seamlessly within the software. And then you're staking. You're also earning rewards because you're putting your money in as collateral for chains. And in return, you get inflation and fees from dApps in the network. And so instead of Amazon running the servers and us paying Amazon some crazy margin, we pay validators in the scale network um, as developers. And then that money goes back to delegators who stake in the network and validators who run servers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, uh, has anyone else gone through this process yet uh, at consensus or otherwise um, using the open standards from the Brooklyn project or, or is this one of the you first implementations? went through this in 2018 and like I said, it was a very different process, but this will be the first launch of this within consensus. And, and like I said, it's a modified, it's the same mechanism, which says, hey, let's use the token for 90 days. The network has to be ready before we sell a token to anybody and functioning in its full form. It doesn't require any active participants to do more work. And, um, you know, so those concepts are similar, but the process and the user experience and the flow will be, I think, far more optimized. Uh, and the user also has to take a basic quiz. And, you know, you, one of the goals of the SEC is let's make sure uninformed investors aren't being defrauded, right? You know, we have people that are like cold calling. Like I talked to my grandma the other day and she's 92 and she's saying, I have these people calling me all the time trying to get me to invest my money and like they're just trying to scam her and she's not aware of details. And here, like if my grandma took the test, she'd probably, she would fail the scale test. But there's so many unaccredited investors who know a lot about blockchain who take a simple quiz and then are able to buy a token that is usable and then use it. And you don't have to be accredited because you've shown that you have knowledge and you know, we're not, we're trying to like remove this class structure towards who gets access to launches and geographical boundaries. Like how often do people in the U S get an opportunity to buy a token at launch, right? It's like they're buying them after they roll off a Binance, you know, listing usually. Right. Yep. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's fascinating. There, there's, you know, so many variables at play that are, are going to play out, you know, one way or the other over the course of the next few months. It, it strikes me that, you know, there's a little bit of common sense involved here, right? If you've taken all these steps and you've actually, um, not gone through the motions, but actually, you know, followed a certain, you know, rubric to, to make a, a concerted effort to launch, um, in a decent, as decentralized a manner as possible, given that, by definition, every idea needs one initial uh, <laughs> birther of, of the idea, right? Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's more likely than not going to you know, work out well uh, or, or more favorably for, for the teams that have, have done that and, and the ones that are clearly just uh, raising gobs of money uh, from investors and then looking to, to dump the tokens. They're going to be held up in court or, or, you know, ultimately retroactively penalized. You know, that brings up another topic. It's about unlock schedules. So another thing that where there's a big issue is investors are buying assets at huge discounts. And then when the tokens actually list, they have instant liquidity. And so what happens then is you get the unaccredited investors who get in and then next thing you know, investors are just dumping all these assets and, 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 you know, and all of a sudden people that are buying tokens and by the way, maybe we shouldn't even use the word investors. Let's just say, you know, uh, holders of tokens, if these are utility mm -hmm. tokens that have value and they want to stake, they want to get return. All of a sudden, the value of the network and these tokens can drop immensely because these other people are saying, hey, I'm taking my 1,000% or 100% or 500% gain on the value. And so at scale, what we've also done is we've made it so to try to, to remove that element none of the lockups for team or investors start till the network launches and the lockups last anywhere from in aggregate 15 months to 36 months for the people who bought SAFs and mm -hmm. the team uh, is also has three years, which means over five years. If you look at, you know, vesting period from when they'll start working on this and the investors who bought on the seed have a five year lock <laughs> for the total liquidity from the day one they invested, but none of those clocks start. So that way 
people that take a quiz and show that they know what's going on and then actually use a token as a token, not a piece of stock, but literally like a piece of software that functions and acts, they don't have to worry about these other people just taking a quick gain because these things, the successful networks we're going to see are ones that create value and grow slowly. And they don't, you know, they're not about, there's no quick money if you want to build something sustainable. And so that's one of our approaches. We're like, we're giving up. We've got to deliver. If anyone's going to make money here, it's because we've delivered value within the network, not because we've, you know, done shady things. <laughs> what, what, are, what are some of the areas uh, that you think are, are ultimately going to prove most valuable and, and what are people going to be most excited to use scale for? Um, given the proliferation of, of other options and, and programming languages and and you know development ecosystems um, that are all you know taking a slightly different approach to, to the building blocks of these systems. So the thing thing about scale is it's really we made a bet on the Ethereum e- ecosystem, and what this means is you care about composability and compatibility and interoperability to anything that works on Ethereum. And so within every scale chain is EVM running. And eventually EWASM can run there, whatever. Uh, but you deploy something to scale, you can connect back to this world of tooling and infrastructure that that's lives in the Ethereum ecosystem. The Ethereum ecosystem is booming. Um, and so the other component of scale is that there's this element of dynamic sharding and randomness and rotation. So you want your blockchain, well, it's those validator nodes are pulled from a bigger set. They're rotated frequently. There's a st- an incentive, a stake to make them, uh, you know, perform well. And what you get then is sub-second block times, uh, high throughput, up to 2,000 transactions per second, low cost, no cost for your end user. It's gasless. And so when you think about that, it's like, where is the value? And so, so anytime where you need a, where latency is an issue where you have issues with fast, you know, with latency, waiting 15 seconds for a block and front running and um, just mm-hmm. user experience while I'm waiting for the blockchain to, to act. So, you know, you look and gaming's a big category, DeFi, um, and then B2B disruptors and like marketing tech and, uh, and ad tech. And there's this whole spectrum uh, of users there. There's people that are disrupting middlemen, uh, dApps that are disrupting middlemen in, all over the social consumer internet zone with like event booking and payments and uh, social applications. And, you know, it's just across the board, but uh, you know, where I think, and so I think we're going to see low hanging fruit where, Hey, this network is less uh, proven on day one. So we're going to see people using these things like I need fast block times, the money and the per transactions not as big over time. We're going to see more people come with large, much larger uh, wallet sizes and dollar sizes per transaction and ETH size living across the scale chain. And, you know, that's when the security is really proven. But again, it comes down to, do I need fast block times? If I don't, the main net's great. Or I could use another mechanism if I don't care about latency. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I guess the main net launch is all consuming. Uh, for the next couple of months, I'm sure, because everything's just in the sandbox until then. Uh, I guess zooming out a bit, well, let's, let's talk about the main net launch itself. What, um, what will that process look like? And I know you don't have hard dates yet, but when, when will you feel comfortable um, with the launch, you know, successful uh, or otherwise, let's just say successful, um, in, uh, you know, over the course of summer, is it a three week process? You know, what are, what are, what's the checklist that's in place post launch, um, that you need to go through and some of the milestones you need to hit before you feel comfortable that, um, at least that phase of the rollout was a success. Yeah. So we are looking at, you know, our goal is, is Q2 to have network ready to launch. That's end of June. Um, there are, because of the, I talked about this rubric and the mechanisms at play to launch a network in a compliant fashion. And so there may be things with how, with just orchestrating the launch and the, the legal mechanics and the financial mechanics that just delay things a little bit. But the good news is that 
the network will be ready in June. And so when you, you know, that's, you know, assuming what we're running, you know, by the way, assuming we, we've already done two very extensive audits and uh, put a lot of money into the audits as well and, and fix all the issues that were found and those will be published soon. And we're doing the white hat hack competitions, but assuming we don't find something else that's major, we're going to be, there's, I don't see any reason why we won't be ready to launch in June. And then, and then, then it's just a matter of implementation and getting the thing out the door with uh, the myriad of, of the legal financial um, uh, partner side components that are really out of our control. And mm-hmm. so we're controlling what we can. And again, and by the way, this is open source. There's, you know, other people contribute a lot of, you know, community contributing to this code base and, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be ready to rock and, and it won't take any additional effort. And it's just a matter of like, let's go through the proper, you know, steps to, to get this live. So, uh, one other thing you mentioned is like when it's going to be ready. One thing we're going to do too is when, uh, we're going to put, we're going to run a scale DAP and we're just going to, and I don't know what we're going to call it. Maybe like the hack DAP or something. And scale is going to run a DAP and just put 25,000 worth of ether into the thing. And who knows, it might be worth a lot more uh, soon after, but, uh, or less, it's going to fluctuate. Right. But I think, I think it's going to keep going up in value. And, and then when people want to hack the scale network, like just, you know, it's there for you to steal and we will thank you because you've then exposed a security issue. So it kind of takes white hat hack to the next level where the core team at any given time or the foundation is saying, we're putting this money on the chain, please come get it. And then I, you have the opportunity, well, I could steal from a DAP if I expose something and then have legal issues and have to hide from the community somehow to how to figure out to get liquidity, or I can just keep stealing from this hack DAP at any given time and keep paying myself when I find issues. So that's one other thing we're doing. And when we do that and the money stays there, I think a lot of dApps are going to have confidence to say, well, look at that. Like there's uh, there's even the security, the, the foundation and the community's putting their money where their mouth is and, and, you know, just keeps funding this thing if it's, you know, but I, I really think, you know, we're going to, we're going to wait till it's a point where we have a ton of confidence. And that point I think is going to be in June. So awesome. Well, I, I hope they were able to hit that uh, deadline. Uh, I guess after the rollouts, wh- where where does your attention go beyond that? Is it um, finding you know new uh, developers and and kind of stimulating the DAP economy around scale? Is it um, other distribution partnerships? What uh, other other blockchains even? Or are you going to be focused on you know? Uh, just Ethereum and, and, and developer metrics. Yeah. You know what? It's all about supporting developers. We're, we really think, you know, we have, there's this core belief that the networks that win are the, or will be the ones that really support developers the best. And that's how it works in any other startup. You have to show usage. <laughs> it's all about demand side, not your supply side, right. Um, of the equation. And so we need to go and, and support developers. And so we already have 40, 41 dApps right now signed up in the Scale Innovator program. Uh, they get early access to scale chains for testing, and and many of them will be launching right out of the gates. Uh, and then, then over time, you know, there's already another hundred in the pipeline. But uh, but I think you know when we look long term, I, I talked about this value stack. So so and I'm really like thankful. I'm getting to see see into what these dApps are building and what's coming in the next year and two years and. The top layer is just like blockchains to support currency, right? Bitcoin's a great example. And then we have many other stable coins that are just saying, hey, our goal is just to make money transact and have this secure ledger uh, that functions that lets us have a digital currency. And mm-hmm. it's an amazingly, and that's why it's at the top of the stack. It's very powerful. The second component, the second layer here is having programmable blockchains where, hey, we could, two people can play a video game and then the video game system sends a message to the blockchain and it says player A1 and then that triggers money to leave this escrow and then go to player A, right? That's one example. Um, or you could take a poker game and uh, the poker game all happens in a centralized server and it pings the network, the blockchain to say, uh, player C1 and because of these rules and the money goes to that player. 
The third value stack layer is which I get really excited about for scale is when you can actually take these events like the poker mechanics and the players or, you know, Uber rides or um, a game, whatever it might be, and player A and player B, and actually the mechanics are on chain. And the blockchain, because you have sub-second block times, you're not paying gas fees per transaction, you can have trustless math and mechanics and results and inputs actually on chain. And then instead of trusting the server that all this stuff happened, or, you know, it all happens on the blockchain. And that's like the deepest layer of the value stack. And that's where people are building. And then if you can provide that trustless environment, then you can have these different types of entities that bring much better uh, service and trust and performance back and control and governance back to end users. And you just start getting, you know, that's when we get to this big point of disruption, but we need fast cost-effective blockchains with, with low latency um, in order to get there. So we're building Amazing. for that state. Uh, well, wish you the best of luck. Uh, I know there, there's a lot of things that need to happen in rapid succession uh, for this June yes. rollout to, to be a success. Um, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, in just a couple of weeks here at Mainnets. And uh, for those that want to get a, uh, a follow-up presentation or, or ask your own questions, um, Jack's going to be presenting an update on scale and, uh, and doing a, a Q&A as a part of our proof-of-work sessions with about 50 other top uh, token projects uh, across the, the global landscape. So, Jack, thanks again. Um, hopefully this is a good teaser for next week, and uh, we will uh, catch up with you again soon. All right. Thanks, Ryan. And for everybody else that's watching, remember, go to mainnet.events and take a look at our 150-speaker 2000 attendee virtual global conference coming up next week, June 1st through 3rd. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, and as always, we'll be back here every Tuesday and Thursday for Masari's Unqualified Opinions. Check us out on Twitter. Check Jack out on Twitter. And go to scale.network if you want to get involved in scale. Till next time, be good, stay safe, peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.